It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Executing in the fourth quarter, our fourth quarter offense has been atrocious. And I don't know if you can see it. You know, everyone only notices in losses. I actually pay attention to things when you win also because I can really care less. I'm actually happy we lost today um, because there are some things that we need to correct in order to win a championship. And that's our goal. So, you know, trying to win every regular season game is – it really don't matter. I want to see us get better each and every time we step on the floor. And I don't feel like that's been happening for the things that we need to get better at. So I'm kind of thrilled that we lost because you usually make corrections when you lose. You know, most people don't look at wins and say, oh, we need to correct this. So, you know, I think this is good for us. Um, you are locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Danny LaRue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. I wanted to start this with the Draymond Green quote because I thought that was a good way of setting the tone for this episode. I had always planned on doing one about this game. I was very excited for Memphis considering what happened earlier in the season and thought this might be one that the Warriors got up for. That was right, but it became a lot more interesting at the end when they blew the 24-point lead, then lost the game in overtime to Memphis, a very game Memphis team. So that was exciting and interesting and challenging and have the perfect guest for it, which was already scheduled to have Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post. We go through issues big and small with everything that happened. And it was a lot of fun, longer episode because we had a lot to talk about. And this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, which is my go-to for buying and selling tickets to concerts, sporting events, Warriors games, whatever you want. And if you download the free SeatGeek app, use go to the settings tab, use the promo code LOWARRIORS, you get $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's LOWARRIORS on the free SeatGeek app. This is a longer podcast, a little less than an hour. Love to have this kind of content. Love to be able to talk to Tim that long, especially considering we started at about one in the morning. So actually a little later than that. So I hope you really enjoy it. Lots of stuff to go through. Thanks for coming on. Happy to do it, man. So obviously a uh, interesting night to do this. What we're seeing, I think we expected uh, as late as halfway through the fourth quarter. Yeah, at least for sure through the third quarter. And there are a lot of different ways that you can kind of take what happened in this game. But overall, I kind of lean towards some stuff that Draymond Green said after the game, which is basically the idea that this forces the Warriors to deal with some lingering, festering issues that you only really deal with from a pragmatic sense after a loss. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think Draymond is right, and that that was the main thing I, I wrote about in my my column for the Washington Post, which is that, I mean, look, my my pretty common refrain about this Warriors season from day one has been they've been bored out of their minds basically from the start, and on a few rare occasions, the Flipper game, the second Laker game, the Cavs game, the Rockets game, uh, you know, maybe not even the Rockets game, but I would probably count that one. They've played from start to finish and been locked in, and. The rest of the time, even though they're now 31-6, and six, they've been able to win a lot of games because they have just an overwhelming talent advantage. And so they can kind of coast along and kind of do what they want to do. And then in a burst of 6 or 8 or 12 minutes, they can you know go crazy and build a big lead and kind of coast the rest of the game to the finish line. And you know that's enough to win a lot of games. But as we saw in the game against the Cavaliers, as we saw tonight, and really, as we've seen, as Draymond said, in a couple games recently against Portland, against Denver, against Dallas, against Toronto even, all those games, the Warriors were kind of up by 8 or 10, but they didn't look good in, in really the late in the fourth quarter in any of those games, I don't think. And as Draymond, like you said, as Draymond you know, put it pretty perfectly, if you win, it doesn't really matter. You can just brush under the rug and go on to the next one and ignore that stuff. But when you lose, all that stuff gets brought to the surface and you can really take a hard look at it and start to assess things. And, you know, I think for the Warriors, you know, it, it's pri- it's high time for them to, you know, as both he and Steph Curry said, you know, really assess this and try to get back to a place where they're able to hold their focus for a lot more than just a, a few minute spurts of each game. I don't want to read too much into this because not only are we dealing with small sample sizes, but we're also dealing with just an interesting sample because the fact of the matter is the Warriors haven't played, and this is a big difference from last year, they haven't played late close games against bad teams very much this year. So when you think about like a lot of these kind of things of, oh, you can go like the, the Warriors are 13th, but even before tonight, they were 13th in fourth quarter offensive rating, which is certainly not good when you're the best offense in the league and numerous other other elements. It's also worth remembering that unlike in other years, you know, I so said the Warriors have lost six games this year. A couple of those were just absolute blowouts. So then those don't count as clutch situations or anything like that. And then the other ones just by happenstance are against very good teams, the Cavs, the Rockets, this game against Memphis. Memphis is just this magnificent close team. They're in this insane ten and two when behind by one to three points in the final minute of the game. Just unbelievable. So you have all that going together, but that's why the advantage of if you want to say it's being there watching intently is that you can see these problems even if they end up winning and even if it's di- if it's a different sample. Yeah, no, I th- I think all that's true, and you know. I, I think it all comes back to the same thing where, I mean, you're right. They just haven't really had very many close, close late and close minutes at all. Coming into tonight, they had 42 late uh, clutch minutes, which is, uh, with I think the official definition is within five points within five minutes. Um, and they had 42 total in 36 games, which was uh, the least in the league by several minutes. And Memphis, uh, to your point, had the most. Um, and while the Warriors were 9-2 and two in those 11 games, that it took place um, with the two losses being against the Rockets and the um, the Cavs, and now three with the, the Rockets, Cavs, and Grizzlies. 
um, you know, I do, I do really think it comes back to muscle memory when I'm sure we're going to get into some of the late game execution um, with some of the, the lack of cohesion with these guys in terms of being on the right, the same page and, and knowing what to do and, and kind of having the same harmony and focus they've had in recent seasons. And I, I think a lot of that is because they haven't really had to work any of that into muscle memory because they've just kind of done whatever they wanted and win these games because they have a ton of talent and you know, that's fine now, but the regular season for all its monotony is supposed to be about fine tuning habits for when you get to the postseason. you know exactly what you need to do. And the Warriors are playing like a team that's been together for several seasons when they have a bunch of brand new pieces. And, and that is something that I think they need to try to remember. It reminds me a little bit of some of those late Kobe Shaq Laker teams that, that just knew that they had it in them. But as you said, they haven't proven it yet. They haven't done it together. And while the big, you know, the Warriors have three all-stars that are carried over, they have a lot of other changeover too. I mean, the second unit that's playing, I actually talked to Sean Livingston a little bit about that on Tuesday at the, at shoot around that they're still figuring a lot of that kind of stuff out. And that it's it's a lingering thing and I don't want to read too much into it but uh, one of the stats that I pulled that ended up being in my piece for the athletic is that last season the Warriors didn't actually use the death lineup that much in the fourth quarter in the regular season for you know they didn't need to as much but it was insane they outscored opponents by 69 points per 100 possessions with those five guys in this year, in the fourth quarter, in 63 minutes, so small sample, all that kind of stuff, the Warriors have actually been outscored with that lineup on the floor. Yeah. No, and look, tonight you saw Steve Kerr go away from it. You saw him take Andre Goodall out in the overtime. You saw him play Zaza Pachulia. Now, maybe that was a minute thing. Nobody really got a chance to ask him about it postgame. But, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, the Warriors haven't, you know, again, that goes back to fine-tuning these muscles and getting these guys on the same page. And they haven't done that. And, you know, you know, when we talk about things like, well, Andre Godala, is he the same player this year? Is he just kind of coasting? Because um, there's been times he hasn't looked very good. I mean, a lot of, like, it, again, it, to me, it all just kind of comes back to the same thing, which is that the Warriors have been really comfortable saying, we got this all season. And let's be honest. They, they're 11-2 and two in their last 13 games. They blew a 14-point lead with eight minutes to go against the Cleveland Cavaliers on the road in their biggest game of the season in a game to go, and some Memphis team that they just got blown out by 30 and they wanted to come back and, and beat this time around. Um, and those are, you know, those are arguably, you know, maybe Memphis, isn't, Memphis probably is as good as Toronto, but those are two of the best teams they played in this three-week stretch. It's been mostly against light competition, and they lost those games. And you know, I, I don't think it's reactionary to say that, you know, it, this is the kind of stuff that could really come back to bite them down the road. Because while they are a great team and they can probably do this and beat just about everybody in the league, there's one team that they can't do this and beat. And while the Warriors have the talent to beat Cleveland, Cleveland is going to go into a series against them knowing exactly what they are and exactly how they want to play. And this Warriors team, as you said before, although it's similar to the team they had last year and most of the, the core pieces are the same, one very specific one is different and several pieces are overall. And this group needs to learn how to be on the same page the way that one was. And if they don't, 
they might not be able to get done what they want to. The 2016 finals are also the reason why I think it's okay to, th- to consider some of the bigger thoughts and worries about these kind of things because a lot of us had identified similar problems, not in clutch time offense, but just at certain moments where they would just break down and not really execute the scheme. There were some issues like that in the finals. So you can't just brush this away entirely as them not caring very much and not having it in muscle memory. I, I think that's a primary crux of it. But they they haven't shown a willingness, Kerr hasn't done this, except for some moments in the 2015 finals, to just say, let's throw out the game plan and do some simple things that we can exploit because we have better talent than everybody else. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and but, but at the same time, while you say that, and I, I think that's true, um, a lot of this stuff just comes down to, like, if we go back to the finals last year, right? The Warriors were fine when they were doing exactly what they're used to doing. That's true. And what, what happened was, when they got off script, was when that series went to hell. And you look at what happened against the Cavs, you look at what happened tonight, it's the same thing. If that team does what it is supposed to do, it will beat every team it plays. And the games that they lose are either games like, you know, the Spurs game or the Laker game or the Memphis game where you just get blown out. Or it's these other games that they've played where they just haven't done the things there that they have that they know they're better than everybody else at. And if they just play that way and play the way they're supposed to, as Draymond Green was very clearly telling Kevin Durant at the end of regulation after he, you know, passed up, you know, running a pick and Pass up running a pick and roll to uh, instead um, to instead take an isolation jumper from the top of the key and not do really anything but stand there with the ball in his hands. Um, you know, it's it's the Warriors. The Warriors. The the prescription that the Warriors have for winning games has proven to be incredibly successful. And you know, they don't really have to deviate from it like a lot of teams do. Um, and so I, I think that's where I can kind of understand where Steve Kerr is coming from in that. If, if you just do what you're supposed to do, it's kind of the, it's kind of the opposite of what San Antonio has been, right? Like San Antonio always plays the same way. And it both, whether it's the regular season or the playoffs and, and, and some, at some points in recent seasons, they've been at a certain level in the regular season, and haven't been able to go higher in the playoffs and that's cost them at some point. Um, the Warriors, like if the Warriors just did that all the time, I think they'd be fine, but they don't. And I think that, I think that lack of focus to, what they need to do is something that, you know, as all those guys alluded to tonight, is something that I think they really need to try to get back to. Another example of that that I was thinking about a little bit during this game, and even more since we've been talking about it, that another exception that proves this rule is Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals. We think back a lot to Games 3 and 4 when Oklahoma City just beat the stuffing out of the Warriors, but Game 1, the Warriors let slip away. That was one where they failed to execute as well. Oklahoma City won a sloppy game in overtime. It was more of the kind of oracle turnover one than a fourth quarter breakdown, but it still fits the general pattern of them deviating from the script and getting beat by a good team. Yeah, I mean, you're going to lose games, right? Like, you're just, you're not going to have it on a night. You're going to lose, and that's fine. And, like, I don't even think the Houston game is a bad loss. Like, that was just a fantastic game. You know, both teams were making great plays, and Houston wound up winning the game. Like, that, that was fine. When you look at the Cleveland game, you look at the Memphis game, and those are two games where Golden State controlled that game for the vast majority of it. And then down the stretch, they went away from what worked. They started doing things outside of their normal roles, and they allowed the other team to get back in the game. And once they did, they got tight and they lost. And 
you know, that's why after the Christmas Day game, the column I wrote was, this team needs to prove it can mentally get over this hurdle against the Cavaliers. And I think what we saw tonight is this team needs to prove that when they're playing good teams, they can stick to what they're supposed to do and get the job done. Because as Draymond said, there have been several games lately where they got away with playing bad. I mean, let's go back to that Toronto game, right? They go out in the first quarter, they're up 42-17 to 17 after one, I think. I think that, it might have been quite that, but it was basically, I think they had a 25-point lead in the first quarter. I think it was 42-17. And, and we, were, we were saying, this game's over, like, you know, Toronto's going to get their doors blown off. The game was within five points by the end of the second quarter. Then the Warriors built the lead in the third quarter and let it come away again in the fourth quarter. It got down to, might have been a one-possession game with three minutes to go. It was definitely within five. So, you know, Draymond was right. They have not... They've been getting into bad habits, and that's why, you know, early in the season, my take on, for instance, the way their defense was playing was that, well, they're, they need time to grow together, and they're going to be fine, and that's proven to be true, but it's also been, from day one, you could kind of tell that this team was not going to be the same as the team of the last two years. I understand why, because these guys went through it last year. They tried to, you know, they, they went for history. They got 73 wins. They got to within one win of a championship. They then didn't get it. So I can understand why they would, they would look at this, especially after getting Durant, and say all that matters is the playoffs, and we're going to focus on that. I think that's fine. But the way they played over the last two years allowed them to have a laser focus on what they needed to do when the rubber hit the road in these games, and they knew, all right, we're – you know, it's go time. We're going to the death lineup. We're going to crush teams. And they would. Now, the way they've played, they don't have that comfort zone with anything because they just kind of lollipopped around and won 31 games in large part because they're just vastly superior to the vast majority of the teams in the NBA. And so, yes, they can keep doing that. And they're, they're going to win 65 to 70 games without, you know, really breaking a sweat because they're an all-time historically talented team. But if, if they get into a crunch time situation in the finals or in the Western Conference finals and they haven't really spent a lot of time working this muscle memory and going, all right, we're in a three-point game with two minutes to go, we're running X, Y, and Z. Instead of going, well, I don't know, we could try this, we could try that, or, you know, KD could just take the ball and shoot an ISO or Steph can come off a screen and, and chuck up a 28-foot, you know, Steph you know, off-balance shot that a lot of times might go in, just like a KD ISO might go in. But it's, a, it's not the way this team has been constructed to play. And when it plays that way, it wins. And that's why, to your point, going back to the Western Conference Finals, to go back to the Finals, to go back to the, to the Christmas Day game, and now tonight, you can see a consistent theme where if this team just sticks to the things that it's good at, it's going to win the game. And that's why I can understand why Steve Kerr wouldn't necessarily be in a rush to you know, drastically change things up or, or throw something out. Um, you know, I, I can see why he'd want to stick to what works. And I think it's just a matter of getting this team to understand that in order to get to where they need to go, instead of just saying like they did at tonight, like Steph and Draymond did tonight, that they need to have that kind of focus for 48 minutes. They need to go out and actually do it and string together a few games like that in a row and kind of work that stuff into their memory so that when it, when it really matters later on, they know what they're going to do. They are going to have to put in the work. We also don't know how many of these opportunities they're going to get, considering how strong they play, that they're not going to have, you know, they're not going to get as many against a good team like they had tonight against yeah, I actually, Well, that's, I actually think that's not going to be, I don't think that's going to be a problem because 
I, I wonder, I've wondered since the beginning of the year if part of the problem is that their schedule's been screwed up. And why I say that is the league severely backloaded the Warriors' schedule to have as many marquee games as possible after football's grip on America was over. And so, there, I mean, we've seen New Orleans three times already, uh, you know, as people have been around the, the Warriors The Lakers three times. You know, the Warriors, they played the Lakers three times, the Suns three times, the Pelicans three times. Um, you know, they've, they've played a lot of dog teams a lot of times early on in the year. And, you know, they still got two or three games against the Spurs. They've got three games against the Clippers. They've got three games against the Thunder. Uh, they've got another game against Cleveland. They've got three, two or three games against the Rockets. I mean, they got a lot of big marquee games left over the final few months of the season. So I think they're going to get plenty of time or plenty of cracks at, at having to play well in these kind of situations because you can, you can lollipop your way through a game against Denver or against Dallas and win by 10 or 12 points without ever really trying at all which is how both those games recently went, where Golden State basically just had an open gym against both those teams and was able to cruise to a comfortable win because both those teams aren't any good. But if you're, if you're going to be playing against an elite team like the Rockets or the Spurs or the Cavs, or I would even throw a team like Memphis in there given how battle-tested they are, then if you're going to beat those kind of teams, you need, to have those, you need to have that muscle memory wired in. And like I said, I, I feel like the Warriors have been playing like a team that has already got it figured out. When in truth, they still have to figure a lot of things out because this is not the same team that won 140 games the last two years. It might be a better team, but it's definitely not the same one. That's certainly fair. And what I thought before the last five minutes was going to be one of the stories of this game is a, a pet theory that I've had for a little while, and I've probably alluded to it, might have even said part of it outright on the show before, which is a big argument that I have with my frequent podcast partner, Nate Duncan, about the way that the Warriors approach their fourth quarter lineup. And my general thesis was and is that while I totally understand why Coach Kerr makes the decision to basically start the fourth quarter with that second quarter group, so that means Sean Livingston, Clay, Iguodala, Durant, and, and David West, one of the things that I noticed was that when they use that lineup just kind of robotically in a blowout, they're bad because they just don't they don't know how to play with low stakes. And that makes sense because those players contributed so much to the blowout and they feel comfortable in a game like this. It was actually largely against Memphis's backups. They didn't break. They brought Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley back in the game. Those guys weren't in to, to kind of start that run. And so my my concept of it is that you can't coach those guys into how to play in a blowout because they're stars and they're really, really key players. And my idea is that you go with other guys and if it fails, then you go back to the starters. And I, I, I'll let you talk about it, but I, I actually did look it up and there is some data to support it. I think that's a cop-out, honestly. I think I, I understand what you're saying and I, I agree that I think they kind of shut off, but that kind of goes back to my original point, right? Like, Last year, the Warriors didn't shut off. They just hammered teams into oblivion. And they did the same thing two years ago. And this year, they haven't done that. They've just kind of lollipopped along. And, you know, a lot of times they can just do that and win because they're just so good. Like, I mean, it, it might sound like I'm a homer for them when I say that, but they're not. Like, they have four of the top 15 players in the league. Of course, they can just cruise to wins a lot of the time. Like, that, that's why you go out and you get that kind of a talent to have on your team. Like, I mean, I'm not knocking what you're saying, but to basically say that Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant are too good to be in the game if they're up by 20 in the fourth quarter, I mean, and, and to me, 
go out there for three minutes or four minutes and do what you were doing the whole game. And if you take the lead from 20 to 30 and go back to the bench, you know, I, I don't really think that's the end of the world. Um, but it, it, it kind of reinforces the fact that this team has just been spacey all season. And it's come back to bite them time and time again. And it's something I think they really have to correct because when they play a team like Cleveland in the finals, which let's be honest, everything this season's about is geared towards that. They can't afford to switch off for five minutes. They can't afford to just kind of mentally check out because that's what they did um, in that, in that Christmas day game. They're up 14. LeBron's on the bench. The game should be over. Instead, they let the backups get six points in a row and allow LeBron to come in with basically having lost no ground and getting a bunch of re- got a bunch getting himself a bunch of rest. And that was the and same once he came back too. In the game, everything changed. Yep. Yep. And, yep. It's, and, and I, I agree with you on the substance. I agree with you that 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 is not the world that like the world that I am at, like kind of talking about is not one that should exist. However, right. at, at a certain point. I, I just think that you, you kind of have to you fight with what you have. And the, getting that sort of accountability on them in that time is even some ways harder than getting it in the fourth quarter execution. You know, the idea of actually running stuff in your offense, not letting Kevin Durant be satisfied. And I'll, I'll bring up a quick point, then we can move on from it with this. Is so they've actually played that second unit, that second quarter fourth quarter unit has actually played pretty similar minutes in the second and the fourth and again it's too small a sample size under 100 minutes each time to say anything definitive but they go from having basically they're outscoring teams by 18 points per 100 possessions in that second quarter and they hemorrhage on both sides offense and defense to be to go from plus 18 to plus 2.7 in the fourth quarter and I think a lot of that is just that in some of these times they're getting outclassed by by just various units, but then they also had that crazy run against Minnesota, which saved them again. So you you have that kind of stuff that runs together. But I think one of the other parts of this that I, I can crystallize all of it, and I know there are some Warriors fans that just ritually kill Kevin Durant because he's had some of these really bad clutch performances against the Warriors. But this was another example of him getting kind of a mismatch and settling for a shot instead of pressing the advantage on that last possession against Zach Randolph, second to last possession of regulation. But before we get all the way into all the Kevin Durant stuff, tonight, as as much as you would think, considering it was a sour taste in the mouth for Warriors fans, this was a great example of why it's intriguing, fun, exciting to go to a live game. And there's no better way to get your way into a live game or a concert or anything else than through SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a fantastic program. It's a fantastic app. There are a lot of different reasons why I like it. It is an aggregator, so it takes a lot of different ticket sites that are out there and puts them together. That is a great service in a lot of other fields. I use that to, to book air travel, among numerous other things, sometimes for hotels, depending on how, how all that's going. And also, part of what makes SeatGeek great is that it uses deal score, and that's a, a thing that they do to combine the specific nature of the seat and the price. And I'm very comfortable with a lot of the places where I go to shows, where I go to games, because it's I've covered stuff there. I used to work in the ticket business. I've been to just about every venue in the Bay Area, or if I'm somewhere else, I've been to a lot of those as well. And what I started finding and was really impressed with is that DealScore did just as good or even in most cases a better job than I did 
even though I had this specific knowledge. And so what that means is that they know what they're talking about in terms of the quality of seats. So you can look in a variety of different capacities for that. And another reason why I really like SeatGeek in this context is also because if you want to try it out, you can use the promo code LO Warriors for Locked On Warriors and you get $20 rebate off your first purchase. So the way that works is you just download the free SeatGeek app, you go into the settings page and then there's a promo code, you enter LO Warriors and then when you make your first purchase, it they just send you $20. I the first time the first time I used it, you know, I got an opportunity to do that with this and it's awesome. You get you just get $20 back. So not only is it a benefit for you, but also you get to try an app that I personally use, personally enjoy, and you get to sit, tell them that you support the show, which hopefully you do. And so then they will keep on advertising with us. And I really do enjoy it. And as I said, it's not just for Warriors games or other NBA games, it's concerts and, and really everything else. So again, you download the free SeatGeek app, use the promo code LO Warriors, and you get $20 off your first purchase. But I wanted to go into a little bit more of the Durant thing. So in this game, the example, which had echoes for me of last night when Russell Westbrook got James Harden on him, two other you know former Thunder stars, well, one current, and Westbrook settled for a three over Harden. In this game, it was Durant settling on the second to last possession with Zach Randolph, settled for a three, missed it, easily could have made it just because it wasn't a bad shot. It's just that he can get a better shot. But I was having those flashbacks to earlier in this season when in key situations, he got John Lure on him once and he got Mirza Toledovich on him once, both guys that can't really defend much. And they didn't attack those either. They Durant settled for, I think, moderately contested 20 footers in both of those circumstances. And this is not saying that's what he's going to be for the rest of his career, but it is concerning because Durant is one of the best scorers in the league today. And he shouldn't settle in a circumstance like that. He shouldn't, but that's also just what these guys normally do. Um, You know, if you look, you know, I think Nate Duncan was talking about this earlier at the game and he's right. Like if you watch, Pretty much any time a guy gets an isolation like that against a guy he's mismatched against, guys decide they have to take a shot. And and so instead of you know trying to get by a guy and create a mismatch and, and get it to a better shot, they'll just wind up taking a jump shot against the guy. And um, I, I I don't know if it's I, I think it I don't know if it's a you know an intuition thing or you know just kind of a, a muscle memory thing where you go well I'm ma- you know Kevin Durant goes well I match up against Zach Randolph like I, I've got to be the one to score here like I should be able to take advantage of this um, I, I'm not sure what it is but I also I also don't know if uh, you know in that exact situation if you're going to really get a different outcome what I, I think what I think the focus needs to be on if you're Golden State is that instead of turning it into an isolation situation really of any kind is playing the way they've played the rest of the game and that's where I get back to if the Warriors are just doing the stuff they're always doing, it's probably going to be fine. And if they, if they, if it becomes, well, can we have Durant do this different thing in this spot? Um, I think that, I think that gets away from the crux of the issue, which is that they just need to keep doing what they always do and, and not worry about how he's performing in an isolation situation, because ideally if they're playing the way they're supposed to, they shouldn't have very many of them to begin with. It's a great point. One of the other elements that I wanted to discuss with you, I don't want to get too much into it just because I think we need to see more, but Andre Guadalla is having a shaky year. You talked about the idea earlier that we don't know if this is, you know, if it's just him coasting a little bit, but 
Durant is a more versatile perimeter defender than Iguodala, and if Iguodala is not willing to shoot, they should at bare minimum be considering whether he is a mandatory part of their best five-man lineup. I agree. I've been saying all year long that I think uh, Andre Iguodala's um, status is is maybe the most important thing about the team. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure that he's the same player he was a year or two ago. Um, he's, I think he's 32 or 33 now. He's a guy that's always relied on athleticism. Um, you know, he's obviously been an incredibly versatile defender and cutter and ball handler and passer and, and all of that. You know, he's done all of those, you know, things to a remarkable degree, and it's made him one of the most valuable and unique players in the league. But last year during the finals, his back really tightened up on him, and, and that you could tell how much that limited him as that series went on. And, you know, for all of the, the other things that the Warriors have, what they don't have is a lot of depth. And they really need a guy, they really need Andre Goodall to be good for them. And to your point, if he either isn't the same physically from a defensive standpoint, um, like he, you know, he really was not able to do the same kind of job of job on LeBron, you know, especially down the stretch of that Cleveland game as he had in the past. And if he's not able to be even a remote threat on offense, then you, to your point, I think you do have to really reconsider some things with him and wonder, um, you know, I, I, I shouldn't even say you have to reconsider some things with him because I don't think the Warriors are going to go away from him. I think, you know, he, he's a core part of that group. I mean, they're the Hamptons five now for a reason because he was part of that group that went out there. And, you know, I think, I think that Steve Kerr is, as an Arizona guy and a guy who obviously really um, believes a lot in Andre Vidal as that whole team does. I think he's going to ride with him to the end, but I think the bigger thing is if Iguodala is not the player that people thought he was coming into the season, then the gap between the Warriors and the Cavs, however big it was, is much smaller than people thought. It also creates a problem if you don't need him as much as that primary defender. Sure, it's if he can do it, it's fantastic. But Durant is capable in a way that Harrison Barnes was not. And also, you don't need Iguodala's ball handling. And his judgment at certain moments last year, and particularly actually in the 2015 finals, were incredibly useful. The guy won finals MVP, and while the defensive end was was the biggest part of that, he was a positive in the offensive end as well. And we haven't seen that consistently either. I mean, the finishing is, is a major problem that he's just, he, sometimes he's hesitant, sometimes he's just not doing a good job. And his three-pointer doesn't have much confidence, doesn't have much in terms of legs behind it. It could just be working out in the process. And as you said, like the, the bigger issue here might not be looking at other people. It might be that he's the guy no matter what. I think he has to be at the end of the day. Like if they're like, forget everybody. Like the, none of these other teams matter. It depends. What matters is them playing Cleveland and for them to beat Cleveland, they need him to be good. And if he's good those three weeks in June, None of the rest of it matters. But I, I certainly feel like through 37 games, it's very fair to look at him and go, it's hard to, it's hard to be sure you're going to have that guy in June. And I, I think that's something that the Warriors should be concerned about because, you know, again, this is an older guy who's played a ton of minutes, especially the last couple of years, but throughout his career. And, you know, you need that guy to be really, really good. And if he's not, one of the big advantages that you had – which is this incredible five-man unit um, with the you know the four All Stars and and now Andre. Um, if that unit isn't what it was supposed to be, all of a sudden everything else looks a lot different. They also don't have many logical other players to try and maintain the general structure that makes that unit successful. Because Sean Livingston, 
similarly flawed, similarly gifted. Ian Clark is too small. You can't slide him the same way defensively. He also doesn't have those instincts. He can hit open shots, but he's limited in a very different way. And then other than that, they basically have an army of centers. And none of when you move when you move that, then you take Draymond at center off the table. And so you can mix and match a little bit. Uh, you don't have to go 30 minutes a game to what was nominally the death lineup, and we'll see if it still is that way. But with, with Draymond at center, with Iguodala, you can use different things as part of the solution. But it's it's a situation where, the, and it's unlikely that they're going to be able to get a fifth guy. They don't have much in the way of assets or anything like that. So they just have to really roll with Andre, at least for this year, but probably longer than that. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's really that's really the way I think you have to look at it, is that, you know, this is, this is, that's the guy they need to be good. And, you know, for all the talk about crunch time lineups and our crunch time execution and late game shooting and all this other stuff, the Warriors season could very well come down to is Andre Guadalupe good in June or not? Because if he's good, a lot of this other stuff probably won't matter because they're going to be playing small a ton and they'll have their, you know, playing Draymond at center and they'll, they'll be doing the things that allow them to be the, the super team they should be. But if Andre Guadalupe isn't very good, to your point, all of a sudden, a lot of that stuff gets pushed to the side and a lot of the other weaknesses that this team has all of a sudden become a lot more glaring. And, you know, then, you know, then all of a sudden a team as talented as the Cavs can take advantage of them. So, um, I, like I said, I've been, I've been saying it really from the start. I think that how Andre looks in June could very well determine how the season goes. The Warriors have a lot of these contributory factors because if Durant is as good as he can be, then it, it's not even that close. Like that's just the, the fundamental difference between Barnes and Durant is that he can take over in this way as well. If Steph Curry plays even at 2014-15 levels, much less unanimous MVP levels, that's probably enough too. So they they need one of these things to really work out, but without it, they're very vulnerable. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if it's only just one of those things. I mean... The bottom line is Cleveland's really good. They are. And, and they're, they're good, they're and they're good in a way that's dangerous to the Warriors, too. Yes, that's true. And Cleveland, as, as, as I referenced to earlier, Cleveland has a mental edge over this team now. I think it's fair to say. They've won four games in a row. They came back from 3-1 down in the finals. They came back and won that game on Christmas Day. The Cavaliers, no matter what happens in the game here in Oakland uh, in, in a couple weeks, I guess about 10 days from now, they're going to walk into the finals, assuming they get there and the Warriors get there. And here's what they're going to say. Two years ago, we would have beat that team, but everybody got hurt. Last year, we beat them. We own these guys. LeBron looks at Kevin Durant and says, I've always beat you in my career. Kyrie Irving looks at Steph Curry and says, I hit the biggest shot of my life over you last year. I'm not afraid of you either. And there's nobody on that Cavs team that walks into Oracle Arena and says, we can't beat this team. We can't hang with this team. They all think they're better than the Warriors. And they don't have any self-doubt. And the Warriors have shown that they have self-doubt. You see it in the way they play these games and they have these, you know, these late game, you know, mishaps where they're, they're not entirely sure what they're doing. They're not, comp, they're not, you know, they're not all on the same page. You know, Cleveland's all on the same page and they're really good. And so to me, that's where, you know, there haven't really been many parallels to the, um, to the first year the Heat got together or the first year the Cavs got together. Um, so far this season, you know, the, the, the Warriors have had no trouble integrating Durant. It's gone as well as it possibly could have. The team's 31 and six. They barely had a hiccup. I mean, you know, we're only talking about their sixth loss. They're still on pace to win 69 games. It's, I mean, things have gone as well as they could go. But 
at the same time, you look at those seasons for that Heat team and that Cavs team, and they got to the finals, but they didn't quite have enough to get over the hump in large part because those groups weren't cohesive yet. And the next year, they came back and won the championship because they had been through those situations before. And when they faced adversity, they were able to bounce back and persevere through it and come through and get wins. And what, what remains to be seen for me is if the Warriors can skip that first step and can grow together as a group enough so that when the rubber hits the road, they're ready for what they need to do. That continuity was part of the reason why people picked against the Warriors in 2015, but they had that. They just had the misfortune the year before of having Andrew Bogut get hurt. And so they were already really good. They also had played together basically their entire careers with Draymond and Steph and even Harrison and Clay. So they didn't have all these issues that are new for this year, especially adding in a star. Like that's a totally different thing than adding in a key role player. Miami did that every single year that LeBron was there. They'll they'll probably do it in Cleveland every single year. They already did it with Kyle Korver. But a starter and a, a... a central figure in your team is so different than anything else. Well, it's, and look again, it's not just Kevin Durant. They replaced their Harrison Barnes is gone. Andrew, Andrew Bogut is gone. The Andrew Barbosa is gone. Like all of those guys might not be superstars, but all of those guys played critical roles for that team at different times. And, you know, they're integrating new pieces into all those spots. And there's the sum of the parts better than before, probably because Kevin Durant is awesome. But it's still a vastly different team than before that's, that's, that has to do things in vastly different ways. Um, even though I am, I, I, you know, I am saying that they need to just stick to what they do. Well, some of the things that they do now are just fundamentally different because Zaza Pachulia and Andrew Bogut are different players. And Harrison Barnes is a different player than Kevin Durant. And Ian Clark's a different player than Leandro Barbosa. I mean, those are three of your core rotation spots that are, you know, most space has gone in favor of JaVale McGee even, or, or, um, or David West. Like, there's there's several guys on this team playing big minutes that were not here last year. And while they're overall probably more talented than they were a year ago in the aggregate, they need to show that they can all be on the same page when it matters. And, you know, again, like I'm not trying to sound alarm bells. The team's 31 and six. They're, I think, fourth in defense or tied for third. They're leading the league in offense. They have the best record in the league. They're obviously in great shape. They're still, in my opinion, the favorites to win the championship. But at the end of the day, the margin between them and the number two team is very small. And it's going to come down to these things on the margins that's going to determine whether the Warriors or Cavs, you know, barring injury, wind up walking away with this year's title. One way of phrasing the differences right now is in terms of trust. So the trust between the players is also an issue. I think that was something last night, you know, knowing uh, tonight, knowing that people aren't always going to do what you, what you want. And I would, in some ways, it's also, it doesn't seem like the coaching staff is really putting their foot down, but also you brought up Barbosa. He's a great example of this, that Ian Clark was on the team last year. It's not necessarily an issue of continuity, but Kerr didn't have to trust him. He didn't have that kind of a role last year. So even though he is a piece that has carried over, that's another huge component of this team that is very, very different that Kerr could just rely on somebody like Leandro Barbosa off the bench. And even Sean Livingston is, to me, less reliable this year than he was last year. Some of that is feeling out a dramatically different role. But that will have to come over the next 40 games in order for 
Kerr to really use these rotations. And he didn't, you know, sometimes that trust wasn't always the best thing in the world. That was part of what led to Anderson Verzhal playing continually in the playoffs last year. But it is important all the same. Yeah, no, and, and even the fact, like you said, that Sean Livingston's in a different role now. Like, I think, I think, I think that's a factor. Like, there's just, like, the fact that Kevin Durant's a different player than Harrison Barnes has changed the roles for several guys. Like, it's just a, it's just a different team. And that's why it's imperative that these guys go out there and, and play the way they need to consistently over time and hone the necessary habits that they need to, um, in order to win. I think you bringing up the Shaq and Kobe Lakers is a brilliant analogy because I think that's how I felt about this team from day one, which is that they've been playing like those later year Shaq and Kobe teams. The difference was that team had been together for six years at that point or five years. And all the core guys were the Shaq and Kobe and Derek Fisher and Brian Shaw and uh, Luke Walton later on in his career. And like all these guys had been there for a long time and they all kind of understood what they needed to do and where they needed to be. And this team has not done that yet. And I, I think that at some point they need to wake up and go, even though we've been through this a lot, we haven't been through it. We haven't been through it with this group and until we figure that out and we go out and we do the things we need to do. It's going to be hard for them to just get to June and flip a switch against the Cavs and say, well, all right, we're ready to do it now when the lights are brightest. And as I've been saying repeatedly, when they get to the finals, there ain't going to be any pressure on Cleveland. doesn't matter that Cleveland won last year. doesn't matter that they're, they're the defending champs. Cleveland is going to walk in that series, and nobody's going to pick them to win. So they're going to walk in and say, hey, we can beat these guys. All the pressure's on them. They're going to choke again. And it's going to be up to the Warriors to deal with that pressure and internalize it and come out on top which is something they couldn't do last year. And it's something that, you know, in their two most recent losses, they failed to do. And, you know, it, 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 will make, it will make what I think at times has been kind of a placid regular season. Um, you know, it should lead to a pretty fascinating playoffs because this team, at least to me, you know, now, especially now if we look their own five against some of the elite teams they're going to play, you know, they haven't really shown that they're able to hold up in the crucible against some of these elite teams and do what they need to do to win. They also have a better understanding now that the Crucible is the entire playoffs because of Draymond's technicals and other things like that. They're they're gonna have to be on their game. Also, I firmly believe that the second and the second and third rounds this year are going to be very challenging. Oklahoma City, that was its own thing. You know, the Warriors should have lost that series. But they'll face a bigger challenge than they got from Portland in the second round, whether that's this Grizzlies team, Utah, any number of squads, they're going to be better. And the conference finals will probably be tough too. I still fully expect them to make the NBA finals, but they can't just flip a switch then. They're going to need to be ready for it. Yeah, no, and that's exactly what I wrote, which is that, you know, they're, they've been just flipping the switch on and off kind of intermittently all year. Well, we'll play good for six minutes here and beat the Suns or eight minutes here and beat the Nuggets or 12 minutes here and beat the, beat the Mavericks. But sometimes the switch is going to short circuit if you just keep flipping it over and over again. Short circuited tonight, short circuited in Cleveland. And, you know, the bottom line is when you're playing a team like the Cavs especially, you know, you, you watch that Christmas Day game, that game was played like a finals game. And you can't turn off for five minutes in a finals game because the other team is going to pound you. And that's exactly what happened. The Warriors had that game won and eased off. And if you ease off, unless you're up by 35 with six minutes to go in a finals game, the other team is going to come back. And that's exactly what happened. And, you know, the Warriors left that game saying they learned a lesson and things were going to be different. And then they went out and they kind of did the same thing for the next two weeks. And they came back to bite them today. And 
you know, that's why to me, I'm just, it, this is going to be just really fascinating for me to watch because it's been the same pattern for weeks now where this team does not consistently play with a high energy and a high focus and a high level of concentration on what they need to do. And I, I really believe that's the biggest reason why they've struggled late in these games is that they're not, they're not conditioned to do, all right, well, this is what we're supposed to do. Kind of like, well, we've got a lot of really good players. Let's spread the ball around and, you know, we'll just kind of do what we need to do and we'll figure it out later if we have to play somebody good. Um, I, I think they need to comb those things now so that when they get to the, when they get to the crunch time situations that they really need to win, they know exactly what they need to do and they can execute it. I agree with you. Uh, two other quick things before I let you go. One is we would be remiss to not talk about how well Steph Curry played in the first three quarters of this game. I, off the top of my head, I think that was probably the best stretch he's played so far this year, offensively. I don't know if it was the best, but it was certainly up there. You know, Nate asked me the same thing tonight during the game. Is this the best he's played? Uh, and I, I, I don't know if it's the best, but it, it's really good. Um, to me, the one thing that has changed since the Cleveland game is that Steph Curry uh, looks aggressive again and looks to be going after his own shot and uh, seems tired of being told that uh, – or not being told anything, but I think he's tired of just kind of fitting in for – making sure everybody else is comfortable and fitting in. And he's decided, all right – time for me to um it's time for me to step up and and just start getting my shots again and taking care of me because everybody else feels good and so i think the last two weeks we've seen staff run a lot more pick and rolls pulling up from 30 feet a lot more often kind of doing a lot more of the steph curry stuff that made him who he's been the last couple seasons i think that's been for me for all the other stuff that's been going on with some of the the lackadaisical play that that i think caught up with golden state today I think the fact that Curry is starting to look more like more back into a comfort zone, I think has been a really good development from the last ten, you know couple of weeks here. I agree with you. And the galvanizing force of just kind of knowing what they do well and going back to it with Curry is encouraging that they can figure it out with the fourth quarter. I think that's, we'll, we'll see if it really picks in. But then the last point I wanted to make, and this is going to be real fast. I know you listened to the podcast I did yesterday, the little quick hitter on the Warriors effects of the Cavs getting Kyle Korver. I just wanted your thoughts on that. I thought you were largely right. Um, I, I don't know if Kyle Korver will have a bigger impact than, say, a guy like Channing Fry did in the finals when Channing Fry was, you know, kind of deemed unplayable by Ty Lu for the fact that, you know, I think correctly for the fact that he couldn't really guard anybody. Um, he basically just bet his, bet his, put his lot on, on Kevin Love instead, which I think was the right play because Kevin's a better player than, than Channing Fry overall, despite Channing's, you know, excellent uh, skill set as a stretch five. Um, but what I do think it's important for, and we talked about this a little bit off the pod, is that Cleveland was clearly a guy short in that Golden State game on Christmas Day. Like, if you want to look at it from the other side, yeah, the Warriors uh, didn't have the mental, didn't, you know, the, the Cavs had the mental edge in that game. The Warriors had the talent edge. And Cleveland was playing eight, played eight guys in a, in a December game and played DeAndre Liggins' big minutes, who can barely dribble. Um, he can, he's a decent catch-and-shoot three-point guy, but he's not anybody you're going to be worried about. And you certainly can't count on DeAndre Liggins to be making shots in the finals. I mean, that, that, that's probably a bridge too far. Obviously, he was taking J.R. Smith's minutes. But even if you have J.R. Smith there, if you only have eight guys you trust and you have seven guys in your roster in a regular season game, even a game like that, that are unplayable, that's a real problem. So I think the fact that even though Corver has, some, has limitations to his game at this point, he is 35, he isn't quite the same player he used to be. He still is a deadly catch-and-shoot three-pointer. Uh, three, he's a, catch and, a deadly catch-and-shoot guy from three-point range. 
And he's a guy that Ty Lue, I believe, is going to trust to play in a big game, in a finals, in a conference finals. And to me, the Cavs left that game knowing they needed to get two more guys. And they had a few avenues to do it. They used one of them to get Korver. They now still have a trade exception in other ways to go either claim a buyout guy or, you know, they could tr- maybe make another trade and they can sign a buyout guy now if they have an extra roster spot. They have some avenues to go get that other player. And I think to me, that is the biggest reason why it was a significant trade for Cleveland. Not that it dramatically raises their ceiling, but that it just gives them another additional trusted be- bench piece that Mike Dunleavy was not. And obviously, well, Williams is also going out, and that trade is not because he's out for the season with an injury. Cleveland also deserves an immense amount of credit for being willing to turn over those roster spots. You know, that can be a hard thing to do. And we have to see if the Warriors are actually going to do that. You know, if they're going to realize they have some dead weight, use that to get other players, it might not cost them a first round pick like it did Cleveland, but that is an important realization for them to make. Cleveland still also has more roster spots to turn over because Birdman's out for the year, a couple other things. So if they can turn the 12th through 15th men on their roster into potential rotation players, even if not all of them turn into it, that's a huge gain for them that the Warriors might not be able to replicate. Yes, it is. Uh, Cavs general manager David Griffin deserves a ton of credit, I believe, because he's done a really masterful job of maximizing all of his assets, basically. Um, Really filling out that roster with um, interesting pieces. You go back to getting J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert and Timothy Moskov two years ago. You go back to getting Channing Fry for basically a bag of balls last year. Um, you know, again, I don't, I don't think Kyle Korver is changing the world, but Kyle Korver still could be effective, and they got him for essentially nothing. Um, you know, a protected first-round pick and dead salary. I mean, that's a, that's a really, that's really savvy management. And frankly, he also, assuming Mo Williams also included the trade, as I believe he is, he also saved the money both this year and next year. So, I mean, you look at that from an overall management perspective, it's hard to look at the way the job David Griffin has done over the last couple of years and not just, you know, pretty much universally applaud it. Incredible bang for their buck in terms of giving up an asset in this case. And they still have the trade exception, which was so important to them to them to maintain last year. That's part of the reason they gave up that pick to Portland, which they ended up having to use in this trade was because they wanted to maintain that exception. I'm still a little bit dubious that they're going to maximize it, but it's still nice to have. Absolutely. No, it really is. And, and that, like I said, that's why I think it was an important move for them. So big night, long night for both of us. Anything else you think you want to share? Or are you ready to go to sleep? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready to wind it down. I, I think, I think, you know, I think that pretty much covered it. It's, uh, you know, it's the, the Warriors have been, you know, partly because they've kind of had their foot off the gas for a lot of the season. It's been fairly boring, but, uh, you know, it, it will be, um, it, 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 it was a fascinating wrinkle on what, you know, in, into what's been, you know, at times, like I said, kind of a, uh, a, a you know, pretty boring and stayed season. And it will be, it'll be really interesting to see um, if this is a, a, a jump start for them, or if we do continue to just kind of see more of the same stuff as we are. I feel a little bad for Sacramento. I feel like they're going to just run into a buzzsaw. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, or it could be the same thing like that. You know, it'll be really interesting to see how they respond on Sunday. If, yeah. if there was ever a game where you would expect the, the Warriors to come out and, and really pound somebody, um, it would be Sunday. But again, like I kind of, I came into this game thinking they were going to come out and pound Memphis and for three quarters they did. And then they completely fell up, fell asleep in the fourth. So it'll be, uh, it'll definitely be fun out the, uh, the golden one center in a couple of days. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time. Sure, man. Anytime. 
Thanks again to Tim Bontemps for taking the time. You can read him at the Washington Post, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. Great writer, very talented podcaster in his own right, and so so gracious with his own time to do my show, especially after having to do his own writing and everything else. And if you want to read my work on this, you can check out The Athletic. My game analysis piece went up before this came out. So some of the some of the stats I used were, were generated with that, which is one of the perks of doing Lockdown Warriors a little bit later tonight. But really did enjoy having that conversation with him, got into some some of the stickier topics, but I like it with with Tim because we're talking about it as an idea and it's not this kind of hot takey thing. It's just having an honest discussion of where, where this team is right now with the perspective of how successful they have been so far. So really did enjoy that. Hope you did as well. We'll have a, a new podcast on the game in at, in Sacramento, which is on Sunday. Probably do that after I go home. I'm I'm driving up for the game as long as the weather permits. And very excited about that to go to another game at the Golden One Center and to, to see how this Warriors team reacts to everything that happened. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, you can reach out to me, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com or at Danny LaRue on Twitter. I read everything, respond to what I can, and really do appreciate it. If you like the show, you can leave a rating, leave a review, or you, ideally also you subscribe, download every episode, and support our sponsors. This time, that is SeatGeek. Download their free app, which is fantastic. I really do use it myself. And use the promo code LOWARRIORS for $20 off your first purchase. It really is a win-win. You get to use a great app. You also tell them you came from us. And you get $20. And they and also, they know that, that you are willing to support a cause that I, I, I kind of tell you to. And hopefully, they'll keep advertising on the show and makes it easier to keep doing it. So... You can also check out the Locked On Raiders podcast. Raiders obviously have a big game tomorrow. Most of you will be today for most of you when you're listening to this against the Houston Texans and all the other Locked On podcasts, Locked On NBA, Locked On Fantasy Basketball. So hope you check those out as well. And hope you be back Monday morning for talking about that Kings game. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Hey, Bay Area sports fans, this is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked On Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.